Well, good morning, everybody. And welcome to Waters Church. And for those of you who are here for the first time, it's always our prayer that it is never the last time, but that you come on back, join Waters Church, and grow in Christ with us. And everybody who comes regularly said, Amen. Amen. Hello, everybody online watching from all over the place. Welcome into you as well. We're in a series called Be the Church. Let's all say those three words together. One, two, three. Be the church. It's not just going to church, it's being the church. And what does God want us to do? What does God ask of his body? And what is God doing through the lives of those who are found in Christ? And we're looking at the book of Acts. So here's what we do every week. Take out your bulletins. In your bulletins, there is a note page. And the note page, we would like you to take that out and fill in the blanks and write things down to help you remember for later. Every week we do that. That encourages you to grow in Christ and we're going to be in the book of Acts, so as we do also every week, take out your Bibles or your smartphones. If you've got a Bible app on the smartphone, if you don't have a Bible app, you can download one real quick. And get to Acts chapter 3, because that's where we are. Acts 3 and Acts 4, we're going to look at a very cool moment in church history. A very cool moment. A powerful, life-changing moment for a man who was lame from birth, and then this life change changes the lives of thousands of others, and think about it, today we're talking about it, 2,000 years later, and it's still impacting lives to this day. So this is why we are about being the church and doing what God has prepared for us to do, because you never know the impact of one person's life changed. So let's look at it together. Acts chapter 3, we always do this as well. We stand for the reading of God's word. Would you stand one more time today? Here's what it says in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, that's 3 p.m., and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms, or for charity, of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms or money. And Peter directed his gaze at him and asked to John, and Peter said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, and expecting to receive something from them, Peter said, I have no silver and I have no gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. Walking and leaping and praising God. We used to sing an old song in the church about this moment. I don't know if any of you remember it. You're all probably new to the faith over here at Water Church. But we used to sing it. Walking and leaping and praising God. Anybody know? I'm the only one. Okay. Just forget that I said that. Okay, so he's walking and leaving and praising God into the temple. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for money. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And while Peter sees all these people come to him, it says this in verse 12. And Peter saw, Peter saw the crowds. He, he addressed the people saying, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this as though by our own power we have made this person walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied. You killed the author of life, verse 15, but God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And in his name, by faith in his name, what name? The name of Jesus. This man has been made well. 
And the faith that is, in through, that is through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that Christ would suffer and, and thus be fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Anyway, he preaches for a little bit there. Skip now down to verse 1 of chapter 4, and here's what happens then. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I want you to see something. Peter and John perform a mighty miracle, a life-changing miracle. And all that they get in return is a night in jail. Sometimes you do the right thing and get wrong results. But it doesn't mean you're not right in the eyes of God. Amen, somebody. And so they're in jail for a night. And then the next day, verse 5, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with all the important people there, and they all list them. Uh, and when they had set Peter and John in the midst of them, they inquired, by what power and what name did you do these things? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, ooh, that's good right there, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means has this man been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, but has become the capstone. And there is salvation, check this line out, in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In verse 13, look what it says. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Wow. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these next few moments that we can hear from you talk about what you've put down in your word through the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. May what we read about not just be something that we think, oh, that was nice and it happened a long time ago, but may it light a fire in our hearts to be the church in 2018 to the glory of the name of Jesus. And as we pray every single week, Father, as we want to hear from you, we also want to see Jesus. And in his name we pray, and everybody said... Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. The title of my message, Be the Church, Part 2, is Get Over It and Get Active for the Gospel. Turn to your neighbor and say, Get Over It. How's that for greeting somebody in church right there? How about that? Yeah. Remember, you are the church. This is just a building. Okay. <laughs> Acts chapter 3 is an amazing miracle. And we are looking at the book of Acts, and the reason why we're looking at the book of Acts is because the book of Acts unpacks what the church did after Jesus rose again and filled them with the Holy Spirit. Here's how the book of Acts opens. I just want to back up for a moment, put it on the screen for you, because the book of Acts opens with Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, saying, in my first book, in other words, this is my second volume now, this is Theophilus. What is Theophilus? Theophilus could be... Uh, a person's name, or it could just be a, a title referring to anybody who loves God, because Theo, God, philia, love, love God. So he could be talking to somebody specific, or everybody who loves God generationally. I happen to think it's everybody who loves God generationally. And he says, in my first volume, I dealt with all that Jesus, what's the next word, everybody? Began 
to do and teach uh, until the day when he was taken up uh, after he had given commands of the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Notice the word began. Because what Luke is saying as he opens the book of Acts in what is now his second book in the New Testament collection of books is that all that you see in the Gospels of what Jesus did, the healings, the raisings from the dead, the mighty signs, the wonders, the life change that happened through the person of Jesus here on planet Earth 2,000 years ago, Luke says that was just the beginning. He's just getting started. And so let me tell you a little bit more. But if you read the book of Acts, you find out that Jesus doesn't really show up that often. He's there in chapter 1, and he's there in chapter 9 when, when he converts Saul of Tarsus into Paul, the apostle, on the way to Damascus. And outside of those two moments in the book of Acts, he's not there. Where is he? He's at the right-hand side of God the Father. And he's acting still in the world. How is Jesus still acting in the world? This is what Luke is trying to tell us in the first few verses of Acts. He's trying to tell us that Jesus is still working, and he's working through his people. You and I, and anybody in here who claims the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the way in which Jesus changes lives. Everybody wants to say, where is this Jesus? He's right here among us working through the body of Christ. And so we have this book in the New Testament called Acts of the Apostles. Acts, A-C-T. I'm so glad it's called Acts. Notice that it's not called beliefs. Notice that it's not called doctrines. Notice that it's not called potluck suppers of the apostles. <laughs> Notice that it's not even called prayers or church services. It's not even called denominations. But yet if you ask most people what is the church all about, you would, they would possibly say one of those things instead of action. What is the church? The church is a body of believers who act in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to change people's lives to the glory of God. We're here to act. Somebody say act. And you see this all throughout the book of Acts. These people who believe in Jesus start doing things. And I was thinking, man, so many times the church is so disconnected from what it was born to be. Like, again, it's not called doctrines. Like, sometimes churches and particularly denominations spend more time arguing about doctrines than they do actually making a difference in people's lives. We were part of a fellowship way back in the beginning of this church, way back. And uh, the church, the denomination we were part of, man, it was just, it just didn't want to change. They had to argue about everything, and they would spend hours arguing about it and change nothing. And, and, and a lot of the young guys in that denomination, we were all frustrated, like, Look, we got to do stuff for Jesus. Why are we arguing about stuff? And I remember we used to have these annual conferences, and we used to have these district-like conferences. And so there was a New England district we were part of, and we, I went to one of the conference breakouts, one of the conference sessions there. They called them plenary sessions, and they would gather all the pastors from all the churches, and they would talk about doctrines for two hours, doctrinal distinctions. And one time, I'll never forget this, it was up in Needham, Massachusetts. We were in a church, and they were talking about the word as. Yes, as. <laughs> for two hours. They were debating whether we should have a doctrinal statement that said, the Lord is a spirit, or should we have it, the Lord is as spirit. 
Two hours. I'm pulling my hair out like, are you kidding me? We're not even arguing about a real word. It's one of those words you put between real words. And we're not even arguing about the whole word. We're arguing about one little letter. We're going to argue about A and as for two hours. Are you kidding me? I said, how about we all get our asses out of here and do something for Jesus that makes a difference in the community? <laughs> I didn't say that, but I should have said it. Anyway, we're no, part, no longer part of that denomination. <laughs> Sometimes the church can get so caught up in things that don't matter. I love Waters Church. I love our building and I love our programs. I love our music. I love our children's things. I love all that we have here. But listen, make no mistake. We're not interested in just being the better church in town. We're not interested in just being the church with good music or great children's ministry or a handsome pastor. <laughs> we're here to make a difference in the lives of people outside these walls. That's why we're here. And if you're interested in just coming and taking and receiving and being happy that you're in church once a week, find another place because I want you active in the, po in the power and the purposes of God to see your neighbors know that there's a God in heaven who loved them enough to send his son to die for them and raise them up on the third day. And Paul the apostle, by the way, he agrees with me too because after he got saved, he got radically saved and became very active. And he would write to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he says, the kingdom of God is not about talk. It's about power. Acting in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, when people see the power of God, they'll stop arguing about whether he exists or not. Amen? When they see God heal of cancer and sickness, when they see God resurrect their marriage, when they see God bring their child out of addiction to drugs and alcohol. When they see life change, they'll stop arguing about is there a God or is there not a God. They'll stop all those nonsensical arguments because they will see the activity of God through the people of God and they'll declare the glories of God. It's about power, it's about acting. Acts chapter three and four are very action-packed. Peter and John, it was a prayer meeting that turned into a healing that turned into a preaching presentation, and 2,000 people get saved. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 4, they were arrested, thrown in jail, tried, brought before the courts, brought before the judges of the day. For what? For preaching in the name of Jesus. And they can't shut them up. They're like, hey, stop it. Like, no! No, 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 seriously, we mean it. Stop, we're going to do something bad to you. So what? Peter said, I can't help it. We saw Jesus alive. We can't help but tell people what we saw and what we heard. You can't shut these guys up. They are doing amazing things and full of boldness. And then they go back to the church. I didn't read this part, but in Acts chapter 4, they go back to the church now. And they tell the believers, oh, this is what happened. We, we saw a guy. We healed him in the name of Jesus. And he goes walking and leaping and praising God. And you guys don't know that song either. So he said, you know, they go into the temple and then, and then 2,000 people got saved because I preached and then they arrested us, threw us in jail, told us to stop doing it. What do you think we should do? And you know what the church does? The church says, we should pray. Like, what are we gonna pray for? And the greatest thing, greatest moment in church history is they don't pray for protection from the powers that be. They don't pray that God will keep them safe. They don't pray that, oh, God, please keep us, keep us secure. Help us not to get arrested. No. You know what they pray for? They pray for more boldness. I love it. 
Look at it in verse 29 of Acts chapter 4. It says, and now, O Lord, they say, and now, O Lord, look upon their threats. Sure, we're getting threatened. Sure, people don't like us. But grant to us to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand and heal. Signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Sometimes I think we need to learn how to pray like the early church prayed. Sometimes we're so busy. Oh, God, please help me. Oh, God, please keep me safe. Oh, God, please. I mean, we, we, we pray for things that really ultimately don't matter. What matters is telling people about Jesus and being bold in his name and unafraid in our context and in our community. We do this respectfully, of course. We don't have to force this down anybody's throat or be obnoxious. I'm not talking about becoming obnoxious, but I am talking about being confident in who you are in Christ and not being afraid about it, and not being ashamed of it, and just being who God made you to be. Be the church. Because listen to me, it's about the one. One guy's life has changed, 2,000 people get saved, and the church flourishes. You never know the impact of one. And in, in the economy of God, every one matters. Every one matters. In the 1998, a movie came out by the name of Saving Private Ryan. If you've never seen this movie, you should see this movie. Tom Hanks plays Captain Miller, and he's part of the Normandy invasion in the first 15 minutes of this movie. It's very hard to watch. It's a graphic retelling of the uh, D-Day invasion, June 6, 1944. And uh, for 15 minutes, I mean, you just watch these guys fight and die and bleed and suffer to take those beaches. It's the, probably the most pivotal, most pivotal battle in military history in the world. I'm not kidding. If that battle goes the wrong way, we're all speaking German under a totalitarian state. But because they won that battle, we have freedom today. Because of that, the bravery of the soldiers. So it's this huge battle, 15 minutes, and then that's over, and then they win it, and Captain Miller is given a, another assignment, a new assignment, fresh off the heels of the most important battle in military history. And the assignment now is, go and find a guy named James Ryan, because his three brothers, He's one of four, and his other three brothers have already died, and his mom's gotten three letters from the military office that they're all dead except this one. And we don't want to send her home one more dead son. So go save him. And Captain Miller has to get his eight men with him and travel across the European countryside in the midst of the war and risk their lives and fight some skirmishes and some battles and lose actually two of their members to find James Ryan. And they're arguing about it because you could possibly see yourself in the situation. How is this guy's life worth the lives of us eight? I mean, is, and one of the soldiers says, is my life worth, worth less than his? And they have this ongoing debate. It's a really powerful film. And eventually they come to a conclusion. It's a powerful conclusion. And one of the quotes actually kind of sums it up. And they kind of, kind of realize, they kind of realize that, like, if we could just save this guy, maybe we could justify all the war, all the blood, all the mess that we're involved in. Here's the quote. I want to read it to you from one of the soldiers with Captain Miller. He says, part of me thinks, leave him and go home. But then another part of me thinks, what if by some miracle we stay and actually make it out of here? Someday we might look back on this and decide that saving Private Ryan was the one decent thing we were able to pull out of this whole awful mess. Like you said, Captain, maybe we do that. We all earn the right to go home. What did they do? They made a calculation. Maybe the war is worth it if we can save one. I want to tell you something about your life. Your life is a war. Oh, no, it's not to the level of World War II, thank God for that, but it is a war. It's a battle. As a Christian, you'll battle the flesh. That's your inward desires to do what God doesn't want you to do. 
As a Christian, you'll battle the, the powers of the world that always seem to kind of loom over the church and threaten them. As a Christian, you, you, you'll battle your own struggles that normal people have. Some of you are battling depression and anxiety and stress and sadness and despair, the loss of friends and family. Some of you are battling in prayer for the salvation of one of your loved ones. You battle, battle, battle. How many know that life, as soon as you win one battle, there's another one waiting for you? It's like, oh, man, all the fighting. It's just, ah, is there, is there, anything, to, is there anything about it that makes it worthwhile? Yes, the one. The one. You got to keep it about the one. Not doctrines, the one. Not church buildings, the one. Not programs, not denominations, not affiliations, no. Keep it about the one. Everybody do this with me. Put your finger up, just like this. I know it feels weird, don't look at anybody. I want you to say something with me. Say it after me, say, it's about the one. Because there was a time, I was the one. Amen? You were the one for someone else, and now, after you, there's a one. Keep your eyes on that. Keep your eyes on that, or you'll drive yourself crazy, <laughs> and you'll get depressed and discouraged. It's about the one. Get active in what we're trying to do here at Waters Church. Be, a, be an active part of it, not just a participant of the services. Anybody can do that. So I'm gonna tell you. I thought about this passage, and I thought... You know, there's really some, some things that we got to get over, some hurdles we got to get over if we're going to get active in the mission of Jesus. I think some of you struggle with these hurdles in this place, and I think many people, this is common to man. We struggle with these, these resistant forces in our own being that keep us from getting active in the mission of the gospel. So to get actively involved in the mission, three things. Number one, get over your inconsistencies and act in the mission of the gospel. I wonder who I'm talking to today, and you just say, well, I would love to be more involved, but I know myself. And my week this past week, oh, boy, it was bad. I did some stuff. Oh, I thought some stuff. I said some stuff. Oh, yeah. I hear you. We're all there. We're all human. One of the most comforting passages in all the Bible for me is James chapter 3, when James, the Lord's brother and the pastor of the Jerusalem church in the first century, says, we all stumble and fall in many ways. Thank you, James. That makes me feel so, better, so much better about myself. And the Bible in this passage, in chapter 3 of Acts, says Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray. Peter and John. And in verse 4 it says, And Peter directed his gaze at the lame man, and Peter said, Look at us. And then in verse 6 it says, And Peter said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and Peter reached out and Peter lifted him up, and Peter preached, and 2,000 people are saved because of Peter. And I was just thinking about this. You got James and you got John going to the temple to pray, and if I'm a betting man, and I've read the Gospels about both Peter and John as they walked with Jesus, and if I'm watching that, and then I'm getting to how who's God going to use in the New Testament church the most, if I'm a betting man, I'm not putting my money on Peter. Who's John? John's the beloved disciple. The Bible in the, in the Gospels paints this beautiful picture of John. He's the beloved disciple. How do we know he's the beloved disciple? Because he wrote a gospel. It's called the Gospel of John. And in that gospel, he constantly refers to himself as the beloved disciple. <laughs> Talk about being secure in the love of God. Amen? For all human history, I shall now be known as the beloved disciple. 
John's the guy who's close to Jesus. He's the intimate disciple. He's the disciple that lays his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. He's the disciple that follows closely as Jesus is arrested. He's the disciple that stays right by Jesus through the whole ordeal. And at the cross, there's John. John, the beloved disciple, is at the cross. And Jesus from the cross says, this is your mother. And this is your son to to marry his mother. This is now your son. He's going to take care of you because I can't. John, he's a good disciple. You read his you read his letters, first, second, third John, towards the end of the Bible. He's talking about, oh, just love God. You gotta love God. You love people. Love one another. This is the Quran. And love one another. We gotta love each other. That's what it's all about. He's such a good disciple. He's such a good disciple. He makes you sick. <laughs> Who's Peter? What just happened to Peter? He was just weeping and crying over the fact that he denied Jesus. You read Peter in the, in the Gospels, it's so funny because Peter's the one that's always opening his mouth and inserting his big fat foot. He's always speaking out of turn, Jesus asking questions, Peter's always answering, and Jesus is always like, oi vey, wrong. <laughs> so a couple of other moments of the Gospels, Peter did not have some, gl- some gleaming moments when Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a funny story. And he's transfigured and he shines and he's bright in front of Peter, James, and John, and then Moses shows up, and Elijah shows up, and Peter's like, and in the Bible says this, not knowing what to say, Peter said. (laughs) Do you know what you should do when you don't know what to say? Say nothing. That's not Peter. Oh, no. When he doesn't know what to say, it gives him a sign in his brain to say, say something anyway. So he says, oh, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let's make it over there. He's starting to talk, and he's starting to go off. And the Bible says, while he was still speaking, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Which is translation for, Peter, shut up. (laughs) You know you talk too much when God in heaven has to interrupt you. And it's Peter who gets out of the boat and kind of sinks. And it's, and it's Peter who's the one that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, Pe- and Jesus is like, what? You actually got one right, Peter. I'm impressed. Heaven, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And Peter's like, that's right. That's right, I did. Yes, I got that one right. Took me a while, but I got one right. And then the next moment, Jesus is like, but I'm going to the cross. And they're gonna, I'm going to be betrayed in the hands of man. They're going to crucify me. And I'm going to be buried. And three days later, I'm going to... Risen again, and, G- and Peter's like, oh, no, no, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Now he's got a scout badge on his chest. Yeah. Answering a question right, right here. My scout badge. He says, no, this will never happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, it's one thing to be called Satan by somebody. But to be called Satan by Jesus, <laughs> you're in a world of hurt. And then, of course, the worst moment of Peter's life probably when he Denies Jesus three times. Aren't you one of his disciples? No. Your accent, you're one of those Galilean fishermen. I know, you're, you're with Jesus. No, 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 no. No, 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 I saw you with him. And the Bible says he swears and he curses and he says, I'm not with him. Cock-a-doodle-doo. He weeps and he runs off and he's totally blown it. You know what I see in Peter? I see a lot of failure in Peter. And you know why he's written down there with all of his warts and all of his failings in the gospel record? You know why he's there? For you. For me. So that we can learn. 
That God is not looking for perfected saints to do powerful things. God is looking for willing vessels who know it is not the power of you that changes people's lives. It is the power of the gospel through you in the name of Jesus to do great and awesome things regardless of your record of righteousness. I love the fact that he's there. Peter makes the rest of us look so good. But notice what Peter says. He says in verse, in the name of Jesus. And the reason why? You know why he says in the name of Jesus? Let's talk about that in the name of Jesus for a moment because some of you, some people, some Christians think that in the name of Jesus is like magical incantation, like abracadabra God. Like I really want you to do this so in the name of Jesus. (laughs) And that's not what it is. It's not an incantation. It's in the Bible, a person's name refers to their character and reputation. Even today, we'll say like, oh, that company has a great name. Or that restaurant's got a good name, good name over there. What are we talking about? Their reputation, what do we mean by that? They've done right, they're trustworthy, they're honorable, they're respectful. When we pray, we always have to pray in the name of Jesus because what we are doing is we are agreeing with God that our reputation is not good enough, but Jesus' reputation is perfect and he lived the life we couldn't live, and he obeyed in the ways we can't obey, and he honored God perfectly, and so when we pray, we don't pray in our name and in our reputation, we pray in the name of the one who passed every test before the Father, and we have confidence because his name carries serious weights in the courts of heaven. Some of you are like, listen, here's how I know, some of you are not praying in the name of Jesus because you expect God to pray, You expect God to answer your prayers based on your Christian performance this past week. Well, I did. I did some good things this week. God, you owe me. That's praying in your name. Watch out for that because pride cometh before a fall. And on the other side of a great week is a horrible week where God kind of reminds you how you're still human and you still need his grace and you still need his power. Praying in the name of Jesus is praying in the only power that gives you access into the heavenly throne room. Sometimes the people who fail the most are the ones that God uses the most. You know why? Because they know they need God's help. And I'm telling you, it's a very precious place to get to in your life when you know you need God's help. When you know it's not your power, when you know you've got nothing left, when you come to the end of yourself, boom, there's God's power. Jesus said it like this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The resources of heaven are available to the people who have come to the end of themselves and know they've got nothing to offer. They need God, and he shows up. I want you to write this down in your notes. It's those people who know they are bad that are far more open to God's power than people who think they are good. Yeah, that'll preach. It's the people who know they got nothing to offer how am I going to get this job done? How am I going to live for Christ in my, in my neighborhood? How am I going to live for Christ in that job? Everybody around me swears. Everyone around me tells dirty jokes. Everybody around me gossips and lies and steals and does all kinds of questionable business practice. How am I going to do Through the power of God in you, that's how. When you stop trusting in your righteousness and you start trusting in the righteousness that has been given to you by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, that's how you get over your inconsistencies because we all got them. 
We all got our inconsistencies, and God's not looking for perfect saints. He's looking for people who are available to receive his power. That's why Peter was chosen that day to do that mighty work. Number two, get over your insecurities and get active in the mission of the gospel. Get over your insecurities because we all have those too. Out there in, in beyond these walls, outside of church, there's a bunch of comparisons waiting for you to make. You can compare your house to other people's houses, your car to other people's cars, your job to other people's jobs, your looks to other people's looks. Your talents to other people's talents. You don't even have to go outside your house anymore. You can just log on, log on to your social network and just start comparing and feeling insecure and feeling like you're a nobody and you got nothing. I was reading about an article this past week, teen suicides, all-time high, especially amongst 15 to 17-year-old girls. I have a 16-year-old daughter. And you know why they're all doing this? You know why they're killing themselves? You know why? because they're on social media constantly comparing themselves to these fabricated images of perfected women that have been photoshopped. And it's a false narrative for our young girls to think that once you're sexy and beautiful, then you're valuable. We need to teach them about the gospel of Jesus. He comes for people who don't measure up to the world's expectations. And he thinks you're valuable. And he thinks you're beautiful. And he shed his blood to prove to you that you are worth something to the God who made you. That's the message of the church to the world today that so many people need to hear. But we got to watch out because here's what happens. If we're not careful, we'll bring those comparisons right into the church. Oh, I'm not as gifted as that guy. I'm not as talented as that person. I don't know as much Bible as that person. I don't know. He, really skilled, really skilled, really skilled. Not me, not so much. Get over those insecurities because God is not looking for super talented people either. It's the people who don't think they got that much talent that God can supernaturally fill with talent and ability and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like Peter, get up and walk. He picks him up. Get up and walk through the Holy Spirit. And it says this in verse 2, it says, the gate called Beautiful Gate. This is where this miracle happens, at the gate called the Beautiful Gate. And um, in the temple in those days, there was ten gates, and, and one particular gate was on the eastern side of the, of the temple, and it was massive. It took 20 men to close the doors. And the doors were covered, not in silver and gold, but in Corinthian bronze, one of the rarest materials of the ancient world. And that gate was meant to inspire. That gate was an awe-inspiring sight. And I just, I just think about how it's that that awe-inspiring um, uh, scene, if you will, that awe-inspiring setting that Peter and John walk up to and perform a mighty miracle in. And it just shows me that they're not intimidated by the awesomeness of the temple to do an amazing work for God. These are fishermen. Now, I don't know many fishermen, but I, I've heard stories that they tend to smell. And they're dirty. I mean, you, you deal with fish and fish guts all day. You ain't smelling like Calvin Klein. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's gross. And these dirty, and even the Bible says, in verse 13, look at it. Verse 13, it says, when they, when they saw the boldness of Peter and perceived that they were uneducated common men, that's another way of saying, they were not impressive. They were stinky, smelly, dirty fishermen. 
who did something amazing for the glory of Jesus. Because God is not looking for the impressive to do great things through. He's looking for the available person who says, I may not be much, but it is God in me who is greater than he that is in the world. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's what God needs, just somebody like that. You, average, ordinary you and me. That's it. Get over those insecurities. Because you're either going to let insecurities hem you in and corner you into a shallow Christian experience, or you're going to get over that through the power of the Holy Spirit and receive the boldness and confidence that comes from God alone to do things you could never thought of possible because it is not you, it is God in you. And Peter and John, it says in verse 4, just to point this out again, remember they say, look at us, look at us. They're not ashamed to say, hey, look at us over here. Hey, see us, smelly fishermen, watch, watch what we're going to do to you. <laughs> okay, are you comfortable with that? Look at me. Not look at my life, not look at all the things I have, not look at my talents and my skills. Look at us because i got something to give you. It's called the power of Jesus. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit comes to empower you with confidence. Confidence that you are indeed a child of the living God. Romans chapter 8 says, It is his spirit in us that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's in Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit comes into our bodies through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. Now we come and receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit bears witness. That means it tells us, it reminds us, it brings confidence into our spirit. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And you hear that enough, you get a little bit more bold in who you are in Christ. I think about D.L. Moody. You know, he was not impressive. He was a serious heathen. D.L. Moody lived in the 1800s. You know, we like to say, who's the next Billy Graham? Right? We like to say that. But do you understand this? Billy Graham was the next D.L. Moody. In the 1800s, it was D.L. Moody who was preaching all over the world, changing people's lives in the gospel of Christ. But listen to me. His story was he never graduated past fifth grade. He was a heathen. He was short. He was overweight. He was not attractive. Actually, here's what it says about his Sunday school teacher actually wrote this about him. He says, I have seen few people whose minds were more spiritually dark than D.L. Moody when they came into my Sunday school class. I can think of few people more unlikely to become a Christian or to fulfill any extended sphere of public usefulness. How would you like your Sunday school teacher to say that about you? Um... And he got saved, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And D.L. Moody traveled across the world preaching the gospel to thousands of people. Estimates are he preached the gospel to 100 million people before airplanes and automobiles, including two U.S. presidents, Ulysses S. Grant and Abraham Lincoln. God takes the nobodies, friend. God takes the nobodies. You know that there's a, there's a plaque on Court Street in Boston on the outside of one of those massive buildings in Boston, on Court Street, in, memorable, in, in memor, uh, remembrance of D.L. Moody. Here, I want to show it to you on the screen here. It says, D.L. Moody, Christian evangelist, friend of man, founder of the Northfield Schools, was converted to God in a shoe store on this site, April 21st, 1855. In the shadows of the cultural elite capital of our country is a small plaque reminding us it is not the impressive people that God needs to do great and mighty things through. Get over your insecurities. Because we all have them, and the Holy Spirit empowers you to get over them. 
And number three, and finally, get over the importance of popular opinion. Because you can't serve God and serve man. You can't please God and please man all the time. Sometimes you can please God and please man at the same time, but many times it's impossible. And the apostles are, are exhibit A because they heal a guy of, la- of, uh, of being lame for 40 years. He's 40 years old. He's been lame from birth. They heal him, and it's an amazing moment, and all that they get is hatred and animosity from the powers that be. And sometimes Christians, sometimes people will like us, but sometimes people will not like us, and that's okay. You still got to do what God wants you to do, not what other people want you to do. You got to learn that the approval of God is far more valuable and far more effective in your life and in your conscience than the approval of other people. Because here's the deal about people. I've learned this the hard way, and I know some of you have too. People are fickle. They'll love you today, hate you tomorrow. They, they said Hosanna to the Son of God on Palm Sunday, and they said crucify him on Good Friday. How's that happen? Fickle. Don't worry about what people think about you. Don't worry about being important. Don't worry about being popular. Don't worry about being liked. You got the love of God in you. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. How do you get the love of God in you? Through the Holy Spirit. The love of God through the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts so that we know we are loved. And love is a very powerful force. It changes how you feel about others, how you feel about yourself, how you feel about those who hate you. And the love of God is the most powerful of all. It says this in verse, uh, verse 18. It's the last verse we're going to look at. And they called him and they said, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now I think about this. I think about, you know what? This is why you want to stand for God in your generation. This is why you want to get out of your insecurities, get out of your need for importance, get out of your inconsistencies and just act in faith, in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because time will tell the story of who the important people are in each generation. See? In this moment in history, in Acts chapter 4, who are the important big-name, big-wigs people? Who are they? Caiaphas, high priest. Herod, king of Judea. He'd be like governor of Massachusetts. Herod, you know, like Pilate. The Tetrarch of Galilee, uh, of Jerusalem, sorry. Um, who else? Who's like the big, big wig? Caesar. Oh, Caesar, Caesar. He was, they said Caesar was God in some cases. But isn't it funny, 2,000 years later, we're talking not about Caesar, are we? Today, 2,000 years later, we name our sons Peter and John and Mary, and we name our daughters Mary and Sarah and Rebecca. And we name our dogs Caesar. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching right there. (laughs) Time will tell the story. You stand for God, and time will tell the story. I want to wrap this up with just getting you to write three more things down. Trust me. It's worth it. Write these three things down. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is what it looks like. Inconsistencies do not define us. Insecurities do not restrict us. Importance does not allure us. God is with us. That's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is all about, friend. So that you can partner with us and act, act in the purposes of God in our generation so that many will see and know Jesus is alive.